everybody. This is Jen Kesnick, and you are listening to my very first podcast. Welcome to You Be You, and I'll Be Me. And in a year from now, I'll probably listen back to this and think I sound like a huge asshole. But for now, bear with me. So like a lot of you, I am a lot of things. I am a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, a friend. And in my life, I also teach yoga with a specialty in yoga for golf. I'm a Reiki master. And if you don't know what that is, I'll do a podcast someday about it and you'll have to listen. It's actually pretty interesting. I have taught meditation and breath work and fitness. I like getting involved in things that make people feel better. I love juicing and organics and safe personal care products. And I have a plethora of things I'm interested in. And my favorite, favorite thing to do in the world is to pass along good stuff, good information, good intel that's going to make your life happier and better. Uh, and my other favorite favorite is to hear and tell stories. Um, I love to hear stories from real people about things that they're passionate about. Uh, you know how you watch any documentary and by the end you're like, wow, that was so fascinating. I never knew how they made number two pencils. But if there's a story attached to it, it makes it palatable. You know, it makes it more interesting. I am a self-admitted terrible student back in school. Um, I did not do well in most of my classes, but I would get A's in social studies and English and not history and grammar, uh, where we would have to mem memorize dates and rules and regurgitate them back. Uh, but when there was a story attached to it, I was invested. I got involved and they seriously were like, we think she's got a learning problem, but she's got these A's. So it's inconsistent. And that's because from day one, my attitude, even when I was a little kid, was that if something wasn't resonating with me, I checked out. I did not care. I had a huge attitude and I was just like, nah, I'm not doing that. And I want to. And I have one child like that. And it's funny how she and I butt heads, yet we are so similar. Uh, but I had no interest, didn't care, not doing it. And, you know, it sucked in school sometimes being perceived as someone who wasn't smart. You know, if you didn't get to know me, maybe you would think like, that girl doesn't care. Um, but I was smart. I just wasn't smart about the things that school says we have to be smart about. I couldn't do math. I wasn't interested in science. Now I can't get enough of science. I mean, I watch, you know, every science documentary there is. I follow Neil deGrasse Tyson on everything. I just find it fascinating. But high school science just didn't appeal to me, um, which is something we'll get back to later about following your passion. But I did know things that other kids didn't know. I was completely emotionally intelligent. I could see the whole big picture and understand where people were coming from and why they felt the way they did and why they were acting the way they did. And it just was something that was obsolete at that point. And now we're dealing with a school system that's obsolete now. Uh, but again, that's for another day. So this podcast is going to be a monologue. Usually I'm going to have someone that I can have a conversation, a dialogue with back and forth. But in an effort to get things up and running, I just wanted to make this one just kind of the introduction so you can know 
what this is kind of going to be about. You know, obviously everything evolves and changes, but um, I'm going to set out to create this podcast about following your passion and pursuing your dreams and what makes people run on six cylinders and what makes you completely happy um, and help other people along the way try and find that thing that makes them happy. So about two years ago, I was in the midst of a major hustle. I was selling Beauty Counter, which is this safe personal care product line. I was teaching yoga. I was teaching boot camps. I was teaching spin class. You name it, I taught it, and it was seven days a week. I grew up in a house where my father, who was so many things, from a high school English teacher to a bartender, turned organic guru. My father was like that old Living Color skit. Remember that show in Living Color uh, from the 90s? J-Lo was a flag girl. Uh, but there was this skit that there was this Jamaican family and the father worked like 20 jobs. And if anyone in the family didn't work a million jobs, the father would be outraged and start screaming that they were lazy man. Uh, so I was no stranger to the hustle. And since my kids were grown up for the most part, I had no excuse. I couldn't sit around. I'm idle. Get busy. It was ingrained in my DNA. So naturally, when you're grinding that hard, uh, you can't sustain it. And by the end of the summer, I was toast. I was burned toast. I started to dread teaching, and that's no way to live. Unfair to people taking the class, you know, because I'm a big believer in energy. And when you're not bringing it and people are expecting you to, you're letting them down. And so even though I was still doing a good job, my heart wasn't in it. And if your heart isn't in it, you shouldn't be doing it. Uh, I needed to take a break. And, you know, energetically, people, you could read, you know, if, if your teacher isn't completely invested, it's not a great class. And, you know, anyone who grew up with parents and siblings knows that you know you actually know how to read energy, even if you think that you don't. Because when you're a kid, I guarantee you, you could walk into the room and without your parents saying a word, you would know if you were in trouble or not. Uh, that's energy. You see someone and you immediately like them. That's energy. Or you dislike them. That's also energy. Or maybe they're just wearing a fedora. Um, but I digress. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Burned out. So when a friend offered me a job working at a store, I was like, oh, hell yeah. Sign me up for that. I would love to just check out mentally of the grind that I was in and, you know, put a nice outfit on every day and play store. That sounded amazing to me. And it was actually a great experience in the sense that I worked with very nice people and I learned a lot. And although I still wasn't 100% sure what it was I wanted to do next, um, this job at least illuminated what I did not because retail is not my thing. So when summer ended, the following year, we made another change, and my husband, Mark, and I found ourselves to be empty nesters in our 40s, which is unusual, I'm sure, for most people. For the first time in our adult lives, we had the opportunity to do whatever we wanted to do. So what do you want? Uh, he had become, we had become parents at a very young age. I was 20, and Mark was 21, and we were kids having kids. But for some strange reason, when we found out we were going to have a baby, we were completely confident that this was the right move, and it didn't occur to us that we were too young, or people would talk about us, or disapprove, or we wouldn't make it. It's like, don't tell that bumblebee it's too big to fly, because he don't know. 
if anyone didn't think it was a good idea, we certainly weren't aware. And if we were aware, we did not care. We were excited and we felt brave and happy. And we were like, yeah, let's do this. So in 1989, Jesus, we got married. We joked that it was the only wedding with a bike rack and everyone who was invited came because there would be beer. In 1990, our first child, a girl, Beth, was born, and we were all in. Let's do this family thing. So in 1992, our son, Mark, was born. And in 1995, our daughter, Mary Jane, was born. And finally, in 1998, our daughter, Kelly, was born. Four kids by 28 and 29. We were insane, but it was and still remains to be the greatest thing we ever did. And then in 1999, we got cable. Uh, just kidding. Uh, but I did have a very hard time with uh, in childbirth with Kelly, so we decided to uh, call it quits there. Family of six, that's plenty. So if you ask me in years to follow to tell you about myself when my children were younger, I would have said I'm married to Mark and I'm the mother of these four people, which is actually in retrospect telling you nothing about who I actually am but at the time that was all you needed to know that's that was that's who I was and if you said no tell me about you I would have you may as well have just asked me to count in Mandarin like what I just did hello what's wrong with you um I'm a wife and mother the end and by the way that was awesome I had a wonderful, happy, great time doing that. And it was great. Um, uh, until it wasn't, but the need to answer the question who I was would not come knocking on my door for years. And that was just fine. We had a great time. Uh, so, you know, during that time, we were obviously, as people are, we're distracted. We have for these four kids. We have this life. You know, we have sick and dying parents. You know, friends come and go. You know, just life. You know, we had just said life. And so we were completely distracted by that. And we weren't asking ourselves what your passion was because we were busy in the daily maintenance of having a family. Uh, most people can't fulfill their destiny while they're in the trenches of raising their families because you can't say, I really think I'm supposed to be a painter and fly off to Paris to go to art school when you have lacrosse games and stomach flus and you have to cut out those freaking letters to make communion banners for CCD, etc. So you push your personal dreams aside because that is what you do. Personal fulfillment wasn't even a thought. So 27 years later which, by the way, goes by in a friggin' blank. I know people say that all the time, but it's true. Uh, we're standing there looking at each other like, oh, hello, there's no more kids around here. Uh, hmm. So this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where you find out, do we really like each other? And no marriage is perfect, and there are days when it's downright terrible, and I am no gem to live with on some days and some days I'm freaking awesome. That's life. Everybody's like that. So this is the point where a lot of people will say, you know, I didn't do half the shit that I thought I was going to by now. And it makes me think of my mortality. And this is when the midlife crisis starts and the people buy sports cars or sleep with their tennis pro, you know, cliche midlife crisis shit. But 
we were having none of that. And that is not to say we didn't have our rocky times because we are human beings who have cohabitated for more than half of our adult lives and we aren't robots. So it wasn't always easy. Um, But I will let you in on a little secret that used to work for me. So when our kids were younger, Mark and I would get into a fight about something and I would think, oh my God, I cannot do this anymore. Um, I would then envision what it would be like to be separated and or divorced and have him drive up with his inevitably cute and younger girlfriend to pick my babies up for dinner or the circus or some other fun thing I imagine divorced dads do on their every other weekend. And I thought I would think, oh, oh, no, you do not. Nope, that's not happening. We will stay together no matter how miserable we are. And having said that, we are actually very well matched and are truly best friends. So we were never miserable for long. Um, And I told him once about my fantasy (laughs) of him being the fun dad while I was left back to make sure the book reports and doctor visits and daily maintenance was done. And he laughed at me and he said, good to know that the glue keeping this marriage together is your psychotic thoughts of me and a fake girlfriend. Yep, that'll do it. That's all I need. And then as the kids got older, the fantasy had to change because then he wouldn't be picking them up anymore. So I started then to write his eulogy and I would see myself dressed in black, keeping it together because, you know, I had to, because I was strong. And I would look over at his handsome picture on the easel beside his coffin, and I would say all of the nice things that one would say about their dearly departed loved one. And honestly, by the time I was done, I wouldn't be mad at him anymore. I would think, ah, I'm so lucky, because I am, and we are. But this is a time in life where a lot of people think, I'm unhappy, and I'm pretty sure it's not me, it's you. (laughs) Because who wants to say, I don't think I fulfilled all of my dreams that are still inside of me, dying to get out, and that's on me. No one. 0.0 people actually want to take accountability and responsibility for their unhappiness. Not 0.0, but most. Because then you have no one to blame but yourself. And who wants to do that? It's your fault I'm not happy, you jackass. It's not me. I'm awesome. So instead of doing the work, they blow it up or they stay right where they are. And that's okay too because everyone has to find the meaning of life on their own terms. Everyone's journey through life is their own. And I make no judgment about how you pursue your happiness. Good for you. People have a tendency to think that If you're doing something that they're not, then that means you don't approve of the way they are doing it. And that's just not the case. Not for me anyway. I don't think you should do it my way. And I don't think I should do it your way. We can all have our own way. The one that's right for us. The only time it's wrong is if you're trying to tell someone else how to live their life. Because no one, not a two-year-old, Not a 90-year-old wants to be told what to do. Nobody. And it's all in the delivery. Express yourself, but do not preach. Unsolicited advice is never welcome, and it's got a bad energy stuck to it. If someone asks, then by all means, spread your wisdom. But if they don't, then uh, you put what they're doing on your pay-no-mind list, and you mind your business. 
So now Mark and I are at this crossroads, and although we have done everything side by side for 30 years, we have different dreams that we want to kind of follow that we never got a chance to. And we love each other enough to kind of give each other the space um, and the freedom to pursue those dreams while knowing that we are secure in who we are. And it's just like, yeah, you should do that. That sounds amazing. And you would be awesome at that. So Mark says, I've always wanted to build golf courses. He had already had a business do, and it still does doing private, um, putting greens and things like that, people's homes. But he got an opportunity to go to Ireland and work on some of the most famous, uh, golf courses in Ireland. And yeah, absolutely go do that. He always wanted to, but couldn't because he was the captain of the ship and you can't leave for six to 12 weeks when you're the captain of the ship. And you know, don't leave me with these people. Um, I can't take that by myself. So I said, yeah, it sounds amazing. You should do that. And I want to go to California because that's somewhere that I have always wanted to live and explore. And I never could because of life and circumstances. And I was the captain of the, I was the co-captain of the ship, so I couldn't go either. So he goes off to Ireland and I start to make plans to trek across country. And, uh, luckily for me, his job in Ireland was finished before I had planned on leaving. Um, so he could come with me and we left in September no, we left in October and it took us about two weeks to get across country. We did everything from, we went to Graceland, we went to the Grand Canyon. We had a ball. We saw everything and we had a great time. Uh, it was probably about two weeks before the election that we set off or that we landed in California. But um, the entire cross country trip, I am also comedian obsessed, like I love going to comedy shows. I listen to stand up. I listen to podcasts hosted by comedians and, you know, the audio books that we listened to going cross country were all like written by comedians, you know, because if you listen to David Spade tell you his life story, then seven hours later, he's your friend. And, and that's real. He really is my friend now. Um, and not to mention that I'm also a bit of a Scientology expert because Leah Remini told me everything. Anyway, so we get to California and we're beach walking and we're mountain hiking and we're sunset watching and life is awesome and I am putting my resume out, but so far nothing's panning out for me because, you know, it's just not, and I didn't really care. You know, my, the energy I attached to those resumes probably in hindsight was like, eh, here, but I left my phone number off of that. So you can't call me. Uh, I didn't, but you know, I'm just saying, so I'm coming off a two year grind anyway, and I am down with downtime. So I'm loving life. And then it started to rain and it rained and it rained and it rained. And California has been in a drought for seven years. So everyone was all, isn't this awesome? And I had to be like, yeah, even though I was like, Oh God, it's freaking raining again. But I put my own selfish wants beside the earth's needs because I'm good like that. 
So what essentially this rain made me do is, as author Stephen Pressfield says, I had to sit down and do the work. Pressfield wrote a great book, a few of them really, but uh, one of my favorites is The War of Art. And if you're a creative type, you should read it because it's a game changer and you know, writers tend to procrastinate the writing process because it can be a lonely and daunting place unless what they refer to as the muse comes and then things flow effortlessly. Um, so you potentially avoid sitting down, but if you don't have your ass in the chair and the pen to the paper, the muse doesn't come and she can't come. So I use this winter to write and write and take a lot of photographs and go on many road trips and soak in that California coast. And it was like my own personal post-dark age renaissance. I loved it. It was like a creative sabbatical. So I started thinking about what direction I wanted to go in. And I still loved all the fitness and health stuff, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to or even could anymore put that much hustle into it again. But I still love sharing information and, you know, what it feels like when you get help, when you get to help someone and it makes like the, a huge difference to them and it's the best feeling in the world. And I love that. I love helping people. I love sharing information that's going to make their life better. It's my favorite thing to do. And I knew that I've always meant to be in service, a life in service, but I wanted to care for people, not cater to them. And there's a big difference because catering to someone causes an imbalance of energy that really isn't good for anyone, even if the catered to person thinks so. In the end, it's not good. It's, it's just not. So how could I be in service and care for people and give this information out and do all these things without burning myself out? And so one night I'm watching Bravo, like I do, and Mark is like, why the hell do you watch this? I don't even remember what I was watching, but it was some crazy show. He said, I don't, I don't get it. For a smart person, you watch the dumbest shit. And I said, reality TV takes the place of what soap operas used to be. It's a personal story and women have in our DNA a need to hear another person's story and feel empathy and sympathy and heartache and happiness. And I even read somewhere once that teen girls literally have a hormone that craves drama. And I don't know if that's true, so don't quote me, but it makes sense. He said that if people want to hear stories, why don't you start a podcast and tell good ones? I would listen to that. And an idea was born. It was like a cartoon. You could practically see the light bulb going off over my head. I had previously had a blog before and I loved it. It was, you know, I didn't have a huge following. I wasn't famous from it or anything, but... It went around the world a couple, two, three times, and it was a great creative outlet for me just to have. So I started organizing my writing into possible podcast content, and the phrase, you be you and I'll be me, kept popping up into my head. And even though that song is about breaking up, I started constantly hearing that James Bay song. Like everywhere I went, the song would come on again, and I'm like, you be you and I'll be me. There it is again. Uh, it was a few weeks after the election, and like most centrists, sane people, I was astonished when it became evident that our fellow countrymen on both sides had declared us against them. You know, I, I, like I said, I'd just driven across the United States. I didn't see anything but Trump signs from Virginia to Nevada. I mean, 
nothing but Trump signs. So I was still shocked and surprised along with everybody else that he was actually elected. Um, but I also feel like I got to have a very clear vision from watching our country go by out the window uh, just a few weeks before. And the coasts literally have no idea how bleak some of the places are in the middle of the United States. And if you live in this broke downtown that the only thing in it is a rest stop convenience store or a factory or even a slaughterhouse. It's a really unpleasant place to exist, let alone try and thrive. And, you know, things haven't gone so well for them for a long time now. You know, they didn't want any more Bushes or Clintons. And, you know, here there are these people, and obviously I'm guessing, but I, I'm pretty good judge of character when it comes to things like this and, you know, can see things pretty clearly. And here these people are, their lives are bleak. They are poverty stricken. It's not even poverty line. It's below the poverty line. It sucks. It's so sad. Uh, and you know, they want, but everybody's got cable. So they're watching the apprentice and they're like, this guy's a freaking baller. He clearly is a savvy businessman because he has his own show and that is the ultimate measure of success. He's on TV. His wife is smoking hot. So is his daughter. Even he thinks so. I don't trust politicians because they keep telling me vote for me and my life's going to get better. And so far no one's doing shit for me. I'm going to go with this guy with the smoking hot wife and see how that goes. I truly in my soul believe that it was not a group of misogynist racists who band together and voted him in. It was our brothers and sisters that I guarantee most people listening to this wouldn't last a day in these people's shoes. But whatever it is that got him into office, the fact of the matter is he's there. And like any other time in history, when there's chaos, with that comes opportunity. And if you're smart and you're paying attention, you can find opportunity in the chaos. Clearly, if half the country is upset to this degree, then the system in place does not serve us. It was put in place by men who wrote with feathers a long time ago. It doesn't serve us anymore. So if you're paying attention and not running around saying it's not fair, then you can see these opportunities as the, I just listened to Tom Papa's stand up on Hulu the other day and he said, are you scared? Because clearly there's no more grownups in charge. <laughs> he's right. I'm afraid he's right. No matter how old you are, when you lose a parent, I, I, I mean, I was in my forties when my father died and I was like, oh my God, this is scary. You, you know, and that's that kind of feeling the whole country has right now. Like, oh no, you know, we're used to having super smart people and we check out, we don't pay attention, you know, in charge, super smart people in charge and we, we can check out. We don't have to be diligent over every single thing that goes on, you know, like, eh, somebody's got that. I can watch Bravo and get a good night's sleep. But what this is doing is forcing us all to get involved, you know, to pay attention. And that's ultimately a good thing. You know, every moment, every obstacle, it can be looked at in two ways. You can get upset and resist, or you can look for the opportunity for growth. 
And I truly believe we're all pieces of a puzzle. Every human being or even every living being, because I, I think animals are part of this too, is its own unique piece. And we can only build the big picture that all of these individual pieces make when we are living the life we are truly meant to live. Um, so that's what I want to do with this podcast. I want to talk to people, have real deep, meaningful conversations about things that they are passionate about. Because when you hear someone talking all fired up and passionate about, you know, it makes you fired up and passionate about something too. And, and I just feel like we can all use that right now. Um, so obviously not every episode is going to be for you. I'm going to have a lot of, my husband's going to be on a lot. He's going to talk about golf and, you know, the ridiculous things that we talk about. Um, it's always going to be lighthearted. It's always going to be funny. And um, I hope that you check back in with me. So thank you for listening. And uh, everybody, take care. Be nice. Work hard. Have fun. Peace.